How's it going, everybody? We are back. It's another episode of NFL Friday on this April 22nd of 2021, Earth Day, and an NFL draft preview with the selections coming just a week from today. Trevor Lawrence's name will be called by Jacksonville in a week's time. Chris and I will mock the first 11 picks of the draft. We talk rule changes and different numbers. Alex Smith, Julian Edelman, retirements as well. Here to break it all down with you, Chris Hennessy, the guy on the other side of my Zoom screens. Chris, how are you today? A lot to get to, and I'm excited to get started. Yeah, a ton to get to, Nick. And we are seven days away from another, you know, three years ago, we called it a huge day in Jets history. And now we just have to do it all over again. Probably not what the Jets were envisioning, having to draft the quarterback three years after moving up to number three to take Sam Darnold. Of course, that situation is well documented. And if you're a Jets fan, you certainly know what's up and all signs pointing to Zach Wilson. I'm excited to get to this mock draft that we're going to do at the end of the pod because I think that's going to be a lot of fun but it seems to be and I know that you'll have an opinion on this the same old story with the Jets and the Wilson pick to me seems to be a little bit risky we're assuming that they're going to go in that direction and while he seems to be very talented there's going to be a lot that's going to be working against him as he comes into the NFL a very difficult division with the Bills and Sean McDermott playing very well, Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, who I know a lot of people like in terms of the defenses that he's going to have to try and play against, in addition to Josh Allen as someone who's emerged as an elite of the elite quarterback and Tua, who you might think will get a little bit better. And who knows what New England's going to do. But it just seems like it's going to be something that Wilson is capable of but a very difficult task for him to come in and have success because of the environment that he's going to be placed in, which was a lot of the conversation that we had about Sam Darnold, who's just been shipped out the door. Yeah. And it is a similar to the conversation we had about Darnold, but the difference is 12 months before Darnold was drafted, he was the number one overall prospect 12 months before Wilson was drafted. I don't know. I had never heard of Zach Wilson before you're a bigger college football guy than I maybe, he was a more huge the leap this year for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, the same was true about Joe Burrow and he was well on his way to a rookie of the year before uh, a bad injury. So we'll see how, how it goes, but you know, we'll get to that later in the, the show, but it's um, you know, it, it, it's bittersweet in a way cause it's, it's a new start, but it, it just, it sucks to have to go through all of this garbage once again about who are they going to draft and watching guys throw, throwing gym shorts when in reality, you know, that, is they're going to just come in fourth place again. So, Yeah, I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because I have had it up to here with the emphasis on pro days, especially this year because of the lack of a combine and teams want to make sure that they've got the physicals and measurables. And it ties into some of the criticism of Zach Wilson with him not playing quality competition, but watch the film and tell me what kind of player you are getting because you can make throws in gym shorts all day, but that's not real football. And it drives me nuts 
because it's how a guy like John Ross gets drafted eighth overall because he ran a great 40 time and the Jets and gym shorts. But the guy, the guy really isn't that good at football. And it just drives you insane. And it happens all the time. And it was something that, as a side note, as a guy who pays attention to the Buffalo Bills a lot, was so encouraging to hear their management root for a wide receiver they took last year, Gabriel Davis, who had a very good rookie year. He ran a 40, and Brandon Bean is in the press box saying, I hope he runs slow because I know he can play football, but if he runs a better 40, other teams are going to think he's better than his draft projection will be at the time. And I just, I cannot understand how general managers aren't able to differentiate. I, don't even pay attention to the pro day. If, if the Jets weren't going to draft Zach Wilson and then said, oh, he had a really good pro day, we're going to draft him, they have got this entirely wrong. And I don't think that Joe Douglas is that guy. I think Joe Douglas is a good idea of what he is looking for and a good handle on what the expectations should be for a franchise quarterback. Of course, nobody really knows. It's a really difficult position to get right. But I just, I've never understood it where, okay, but where's, there's no pass rush. He's in shorts. How is he going to play with pads on? I mean, you can go up and down the list, but, but it just, it always struck me when John Ross got drafted where he did, he just isn't a quality NFL receiver. And now he might be better than what the injuries have held him back and, and might be better than what he's put on tape so far in the NFL. But he had no business being drafted eighth overall, and he was because he ran a great 40 time. And I, I just have never understood it. it. It just has not made a ton of sense to me. And it's the same way in a different conversation about Wilson in the competition that he's played. Tell me what kind of player Zach Wilson's going to be upon entering the NFL. Does it matter who he played in college? Josh Allen played at Wyoming. Carson yeah. Wentz, who had a great deal of success, and would have won an MVP had he not torn his ACL, played at North Dakota State. Chad Pennington played for Marshall. He worked out pretty well for the Jets. That's yeah. not who, some injuries. Exactly. So I don't really care what the competition is. Do an evaluation and tell me that when he is put around NFL talent, is he going to be good or not? Yeah, no, I'm completely with you on, on the pro day thing. And I think that Darnold's going to become the poster boy for that. If he, if he stays in that kind of middling mediocrity of a quarterback in Carolina, it's going to, I think that's when we're going to have a conversation about pro days because as you, I'm sure you remember, cause you, your team was in the market for a quarterback that year. He had a phenomenal pro day. It was in the pouring rain and in the rain, it was ripping balls around the Coliseum and in and, and literally the pouring down rain. And he became, you know, Christ Almighty after that. And then he goes to, to the Jets and they trade up to get him after the pro day. And we all know how it went from there. So I, I'm totally with you. I am so sick of watching guys in gym shorts. But um, we're not going to have to watch Zach Wilson in gym shorts anymore. It's time to get him in green and, and play some football. It's very – I am concerned that this isn't going to work out. Uh, I, as you can probably tell, I'm not. <laughs> if, if, if this was Trevor Lawrence, I, I'd be doing backflips for this draft next week. But I am concerned. I am. And if they drafted Justin Fields, I wouldn't be upset necessarily. I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be upset. That's interesting. So you, you like Fields a lot. It, I, I like Fields. I like Wilson. I like Lance and Jones a little bit less. I think, it's, I think Lawrence is, is A1, and then – 
Fields and Wilson are kind of on that same level for me. They're similar builds. Fields played against that competition in college. As you mentioned, that might not be the biggest deal, but he did. And he beat Trevor Lawrence in the national semifinals. I mean, that, that's just a fact. So I, I don't necessarily see a huge drop off from one to the other. So, so for me, I wouldn't be upset if they went Justin Fields at two, because when they beat the Rams in week 15 or whatever it was, kind of thought they were going to get Justin Fields. So, um, cause Zach Wilson really wasn't on the radar at that time. So I think they're, I'm pre 99.9% sure they're going to draft Zach Wilson. Uh, but if that, that, Glimmer comes in and they draft Justin Fields. I think that there will be some people who are going to be upset, but for me, it's a crapshoot anyways. We have no idea at the end of the day. Who knew that Josh Rosen was going to be on his fourth team and a career backup in three years and Josh Allen was going to be in the MVP conversation. Sam Darnold's supposed to be better than both of them. Yeah, so, well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fit, too, and where you land. I mean, Allen seemed to have landed in a pretty good spot. Lamar Jackson as well, and those two with the most stability have done the most in their time. And Baker Mayfield, while it's been up and down, seems to have turned a corner and at least been much better when he got his best head coach and best organization in place here this past year with Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry, who are doing a very good job out there in Cleveland. So I, I want to stay with one, one last thing here on Wilson, because to me, and, and we'll get to more of this as we get through the mock draft, but it's just been fascinating to me to look at some of the reports and some of the anonymous quotes and reactions from scouts and NFL personnel about him, because he seems to be the biggest wild card in the draft in terms of you know, how do people feel about him? Maybe Mac Jones enters that conversation too. But there seems to be a pretty big disparity in opinion. There are some people who seem to really like him, others who, who maybe don't seem as high on him. And when you look at the strength of schedule competition conversation, I think it is fair to say that while dealing with injuries in his early college career. He comes back and has a great year this year. And this is the weakest schedule that BYU has played in a long time. I mean, they were not playing the quality of competition. Of course, they're an independent in college football. So with the way that everything worked out this year, it was more of a struggle for them to find a non-conference game every week. So they were able to do that. And he was not playing that same quality of competition that BYU would have in his first two years, of course, there is growth. His completion percentage goes up by 11%. He is completing his yards per attempt went way up as well and, it, and is making better throws. But it just it feels like there is some of that question about some of the stuff that he faced in college being different from others. But at the same time, the arm talent is undeniable. The athleticism is there. You worry a little bit about the frame and you you worry a little bit about the decision making. Now, stop me if you've heard that before, but that sounds a lot like Sam Darnold. And his age, too. Darnold was yeah. 20 when he got here. Wilson's a little bit older than that, but he looks like he's 12. But it's I'm so I'm just man, I, I know I shouldn't root for my team to go 0 16, but. If 16 was walking through that door, it'd be a big, much different story. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Oh, well. 
oh, well, he's going to go to Jacksonville and we'll see how he can do with Urban Meyer. So before we get to the to the mock draft, let's go into the rule change. This is a couple other things that are happening before we really hammer home the draft here. NFL passing a rule with some more leeway into jersey numbers, which I think is interesting. I don't know that I really care one way or the other. Tom Brady was outspoken on social media today saying good luck trying to know who you should block. He was not a fan of it. I don't know that I'm a fan of it. I just always felt like that number stuff was reserved for college. And then the NFL, there was a little more structure. I'm sure it's just one of those things that we will all get used to as guys change their numbers. But I did find it at least a little interesting that of all the changes that the NFL could have made this offseason, they decided, you know what, we really need to address the ability for linebackers and wide receivers to wear single-digit single digit numbers. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, I'm not with Brady just because we see it in college football and they know who to block. So why is it going to be a problem now? Uh, I – it really doesn't matter to me personally. I don't, I don't have a jerseys. I mean, if I was a Vikings fan and I, Justin Jefferson, might change his jersey and I just bought one that has his current number on it, maybe I'd be a little bit upset. But I, I don't know. I think it's cool. Maybe we'll see some, some old college numbers come back and Derek Henry wore number two and so did Justin Jefferson. And, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be interesting and maybe it just won't. Maybe we'll just – they'll everybody will keep their number and we'll completely forget about it. And then like three years, some college kid's going to come in and it's going to be a wide receiver wearing number nine and we're all going to be thrown off and forget about it. And I'll remember that. So I think it's a pretty, doesn't really move the needle. It's, I just, I don't know. I think, you know, the players want to express themselves more. They want to wear a number that, that means something to them. Go for it. No problem here. Yeah, I, I, like I said, it, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other, although just from a optics standpoint, it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. So it'll be, it'll certainly be different, but at the end of the day, who, who really cares? And if somebody wants to wear a different number, go ahead. It may cost those who are buying the jerseys, but in a way it's going to allow the NFL to make more money, which is something, of course, yeah that they're going to be interested in and, and certainly chase. So it, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not, it, it's, it's just such a, it's such an interesting move for the NFL, in my opinion, to say, this is what we need to address. There were a couple of other things where it was this guy judge that they tabled and said, no, we don't want to do that. This of course, being an official who will be up in the booth with a great view of the field able to correct obvious errors from the officials and move the game along instead of the five minute, six minute conferences and reviews and everything that slows the game down. They tabled a bill's proposal that said the hiring cycle for coaches and executives should not start until the end of the Super Bowl, which I think would be a more equitable way to go about things in hiring candidates like a Brian Dayball as the Bills offensive coordinator or Eric Bieniemy, I think it's safe to say that Bieniemy would have a head coaching job had he not been along for the ride for the Chiefs who had been to the AFC championship in three straight years. It's just tough to assemble a staff and to do all of those things in addition to all of the other criticisms that exist for why Eric Bieniemy 
has not become a head coach as of yet when you have to wait until after the Super Bowl to hire your guys when six of the other head coaches have already filled out their staffs in their entirety. I think it's a difficult situation to deal with. So those are a couple of other things that have been thrown around throughout the NFL here in the offseason meetings for the league. And yet it was the numbers that we felt were what we needed to address. Those two ideas I thought were actually pretty good. Yeah, I would vote yes on both of those personally. I think if you're not putting a sky judge in, you're clearly not interested in speeding up the game and and officiating accuracy. Um, I think that's true for pretty much every sport, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that they could use one in the NHL. I think that they could use one in the MLB and or in, in the NBA. And then the MLB, there's a thousand issues with umpiring to get into. But I think sky judge is, is an easy yes, and I'm not really sure why that didn't get approved. And I love the idea to not have the coaching circuit start till after the Super Bowl. And the NFL should too, because it keeps them in the news for longer. Right. Yeah. When, you know, Sala was hired like in the middle of the playoff, like take, take Rob Sala, for example. Right. So if they, the Jets had fired Gase the year before they did, they would not have hired Rob Sala because he went to the Super Bowl, sorry, San Francisco 49ers. They would have hired somebody else having never interviewed him, which is interesting. Right. So deciding to hold on to a terrible coach for one more year, maybe helps you out. And then in that situation, and now Eric Bieniemy still isn't going to be able to get a job because the Chiefs are going to go back to the AFC Championship game and probably to the Super Bowl again. Todd Bowles, another one. Byron Leftwich, another one. Brian Dable, and it keeps going on and on and on. And now the Super Bowl ends February. It's going to be a little bit later this year, right? February 15th, say it is. And now you have a hiring cycle until March 1st, and then it's going to be free. The hiring cycle can be another type of free. It just, I don't know. I, I see that as a huge positive for everybody involved, both of those. And, but we decided to allow Justin Jefferson to wear number two. When you look at Robert Sala taking over the, the job, I'm not sure exactly when he was hired. Was it the divisional round? Was that something around, like that? Yeah. Something like that. So now he's got a head start on, on everything else with the offseason planning. He comes in and he's able to do the evaluation of the roster and say, these are the free agents we're interested in. These are the guys I want to keep. He had time to know whether he wanted to move forward in conjunction with Joe Douglas, but this would apply to general managers as well. So if there was a new GM coming in for the Jets, uh, in addition to just Robert Sala, how do we feel about Sam Darnold? What do we want to do? with the number two overall pick in the draft or in the case of Jacksonville, right? They brought in a new head coach and a new general manager. And what does that look like for them as they do their evaluations? And very rarely are you going to have a situation that is so clear cut that, you know, you're taking the job to take Trevor Lawrence. There's more that goes into that with the draft. And then that affects free agency. There's a lot that has to go on in terms of evaluation. And that is a, an extremely short period of time for a head coach to be hired and officially be able to work on February, whatever it is, if it's first, second, third, the, the first week of February, when free agency starts a month later, you have four weeks to comprehensively evaluate your roster. What free agents do you want? And what are we looking at in the draft, which will affect how we use our money and salary cap space in free agency. It's just a tall task. Now, of course, the other option is a college football style where you just hire the guy in the middle of the playoffs and he's off and he's doing his job. And of course, I know 
That is not what the NFL wants. I don't love that. It's just a terrible position to put these assistant coaches in where it's my lifelong dream to become a head coach. And to do that, I have to bail on the team that I've been with since August and have been grinding the whole way in trying to win a Super Bowl as, a, as an assistant. So it's, it's a tough situation, and there really isn't a perfect answer, which is why I think this hasn't gained as much traction. That said, I, I do think that maybe the best way to do it is, okay, it's a really difficult position to put your, your new head coach in, and maybe you allow legal tampering in that way to where I know, for, you know, for most guys, you know that you'll be able to hire these guys verbal agreement. So in the divisional round, this is the, my guy. We have an agreement in principle. We're all set and we're good. But then it, it may end up not solving the problem anyway, because you're just going to hire the guys who you can have a verbal agreement with and still bypass the guys who are still playing. So it, I, it's a tough situation. I don't know there's a perfect answer. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know that there is either. I mean, I guess you could push everything back two weeks, but then you're into May with the draft. Who knows? I mean, I, I think that it is a little bit ridiculous, though, that the reason, the main reason Eric Bieniemy isn't a head coach is because his, he's too good at his job. Yeah. And that That's a little bit insane. It's, it's amazing. And in no other place does that exist, but he's, he's too good as too good at his job to, to get, the next step in the promotion it's it's amazing but yeah there's there's a lot that'll have to go into that but I'm glad we're we're hitting the hard-hitting issues here about letting Justin Jefferson work too but hey, it is what it is we'll we'll get there step by step and the NFL is is smart enough that's a league I have confidence in there are others that I do not I think the NFL will eventually make the right decision because they more often than not do what is best for the league and, and what people want to see. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we are headed in the right direction sooner rather than later. Let's hit on Alex Smith and Julian Edelman retiring a couple of higher profile players who are calling it a career, of course, both due to injuries toward the end. Alex Smith, what an unbelievable story coming back from that gruesome leg injury to lead the Washington football team into the playoffs and, a career that was up and down. First overall pick, considered the bust in San Francisco. Jim Harbaugh comes around, is able to resurrect his career onto Kansas City and has them in playoff contention before being supplanted by Patrick Mahomes and then the injury onto Washington. And, and he was, was able to lead them to the playoffs and a, a team that was really good on defense and did not have the greatest of records, but certainly the undisputed comeback player of the year after what he had to go through and, and a remarkable career for a guy who I think has been unfairly labeled a bust early in, early in his career. And I think people were able to come around to, Hey, th this guy's pretty talented and he can play as he got to Kansas city. Yeah. He, he, he really got it together there in the Harbaugh Harbaugh era of San Francisco. I mean, if you look at it, his first year is among the worst a rookie, a number one overall pick has really ever had. I mean, yeah, obviously Randall Cunningham or not Randall, Cunningham, sorry, Jamarcus Russell was worse, but I mean, Alex Smith was really, really bad in the first couple of years of San Francisco. He turns it around and wins a couple of big playoff games against Aaron Rodgers, one of them too, or no, against Drew Brees. I'm sorry, not against Aaron Rodgers. And um, yeah, I, I think a what if is always going to be what it, 
what if Alex Smith never gets hurt and he's the quarterback that whole season Kaepernick brings them to the Super Bowl? Is he a Super Bowl champion or does he not get there? Was Kaepernick better than you? I mean, that's always going to be an interesting one to me because that was a really, really good team ready for a playoff run with with Smith. And then they obviously won on one with Kaepernick. I don't want to take anything away from them. Um, but that that's always going to be an interesting what if. And then, yeah, of course. I mean, his, his career legacy is tied to Aaron Rodgers because of the draft and Patrick Mahomes and um, the phenomenal end of his career in Washington, you know, to come back from that injury and, and play as well as he did this year. And I think what Mahomes and Andy Reid both said about him and in, in the chiefs media availability last week about how he was just like the consummate pro and a great teammate and a great person to have in the room was, um, was everything everybody's kind of said about Alex Smith over the past 10 years, 15 years, he's been in the NFL. So uh, an unbelievable story and a congrats to him for sure. Yeah, it was funny. I was watching Ryan Fitzpatrick did something with Barstool the, I think it was last week and he had broken his leg in his career previously as well. Mm -hmm. And when Alex Smith went down with his injury, Fitzpatrick texted him and said, Hey, you'll be fine. They'll just fix you right up. You won't even feel it. Not fully understanding what the injury actually was. Yep. And Alex Smith had a fantastic response. It was something along the lines of, yeah, I, I think it might be a little more complicated than that, which was the understatement <laughs> of the century, but it was, it was outstanding. And you can just tell the, the respect, just Ryan Fitzpatrick, the guy, they, they never played together. They of course will, will know each other being NFL quarterbacks, but just that Ryan Fitzpatrick even was, was wanting to reach out to him and, and offer his encouragement, of course, not fully understanding. And, and Fitz, I know, was relieved to see him go out and play again because, man, oh, man, would he have felt horrible about sending that text message if Alex Smith wasn't able to come back. But it was just amazing. And, and a guy who's had to deal with, with so much in the injury and Kaepernick looking over his shoulder and Patrick Mahomes coming in and even in Washington, a situation where they weren't wanting to move forward with him and and I understand it because he just is not the same player now he was a serviceable quarterback but you could tell he's he's obviously not the same player post injury no one ever would be that's just the nature of what happened so uh, hats off and a huge congratulations to Alex Smith because it was really a terrific career and a guy who was fun to watch and to root for because of the adversity that he had to overcome every step of the way and a pro's pro, a guy who I know a lot of people in NFL circles think so highly of, and, and that was awesome. Other retirement recently, Julian Edelman calling it a career with a back injury and wasn't able to play much this past season, sparked some debate about whether Edelman's career as a multiple-time Super Bowl champion would send him into the Hall of Fame, one of the Favorite targets to Tom Brady out of Kent State, a former quarterback, seventh round pick, and was able to really find his footing as one of Brady's favorite targets in the slot. That said, I'm not sure I'm ready to go Hall of Famer. I know that you're in agreement with me there. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from a phenomenal career, and he'll have those Super Bowl rings and one of the greatest catches in Super Bowl history to, to lean on for the rest of his life. Um, but no, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. Um, I think 
if you want to say, you know, Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer because he was the best receiver on a team that won Super Bowls. Well, they didn't win a Super Bowl because their wide receiver core, you know, they never won a Super Bowl because they were slinging the ball 600 yards every game outside of the undefeated season, which it was, well, they didn't win a Super Bowl, but uh, that wasn't him, right? So that was Randy Moss. If you if you just look at this, including the playoffs, he has fewer career lo- yards than Lavernius Coles. New York Jet great Lavernius Coles. Yeah, he had fewer career touchdowns than Dwayne Bow, who was like a serviceable wide receiver who played for the Chiefs before they were good. So it's like that's not oh, you can't do Dwayne Bow like that. He was good. He, uh, sure, was he a Hall of Famer? No. There you go. I, I that's including his playoff stats. So I don't see away Julian Allen gets in the Hall of Fame but I mean Patriots get everything so maybe he will yeah I, I think he's somebody who has been popular because he is at the forefront of what New England has accomplished as a three-time Super Bowl champion towards the tail end of Brady's time in New England but only as you look at the regular season anyway an a thousand yard receiver three times and he's never been selected to the Pro Bowl and I know that it's not the end all be all the pro bowl and is sometimes a silly way to categorize is this player, a, a really good NFL guy. I mean, Tyrod Taylor was a pro bowler. Mitch Trubisky was an MVP and a pro bowler, but at the, at the same time, I, I feel like a hall of famer would have had to get that recognition at some point or another. And it's, it's not to disparage Julian Edelman's career because he was a a very good player for a long time and a dependable target for a a quarterback that's going to go down as the greatest of all time. And and you need those reliable weapons. But when you factor in that Tom Brady was throwing him the ball for all but one year in his career and that he was only a thousand yard receiver three times was never a pro bowler. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not there to say that Julian Edelman is a, a surefire Hall of Famer. And it's I, I, I don't like doing this just because I feel like, of course, there is a negative connotation that comes along with it. And to me, there's no shame in not being a Hall of Famer. Three-time right. Super Bowl champion and somebody who was really good. But the Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame for a reason. And, and Julian Edelman, for me, is just not there. Yeah, I, I look, he battled injury in his career. 2015, he played nine games and had 700 receiving yards. So he was probably on his way to another one there. There's a couple of seasons where without an injury, he probably gets to 1,000 yards, but he was injured. I mean, that's part of being a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he was injured. Um, I, I really don't see, I think another, I think more than Pro Bowl, honestly, is, is all pro. And never once was he all pro, which is what, top 10, 15 receivers in the league? If you're not that, yeah, one time in your career, you're not a Hall of Famer, and that's not just our AFC East bias speaking. I don't think. I don't think so. At least, no, it's not. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not. Edelman can't hurt the Bills anymore, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to give him his due if it was due, but I'm just pump the brakes on a Hall of Famer, a great career, and and something certainly to be proud of, and and. He is somebody who is a great New England Patriot, should probably go in their ring of honor, but a pro, uh, a Hall of Famer, rather, without a Pro Bowl selection is just is tough for me to get there. Let's finish up. I'm, I'm excited for this. Mm-hmm. I, I really am. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to go 
and and just we'll, we'll go through 11 picks mock draft preview for next week we'll, we'll go off the board one after another i'm gonna go first because i want to allow you to make the jets pick okay like and it. then we'll we'll go from there but we'll go on the clock here we go mock draft preview this is our pick em segment for, dun, dun, for, for the draft here dun, dun. yeah exactly you okay, can make this okay. down there you go so first pick jacksonville on the clock this of course a no-brainer New head coach Urban Meyer is coming in. He wants to coach Trevor Lawrence, the the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. You feel like he's going to be in a great position to succeed in Jacksonville. The the strong arm, the mobility, he's a winner, a national champion at Clemson, has played at the highest level of college football. This one is easy for me. Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, the number one pick for Jacksonville. No argument here. It seems, I mean, we've known this for, Two years now that he was going to be the number one overall pick. So no argument for me. Um, Joe Douglas, the New York football jets are on the clock and everything points to Wilson. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go off of that. As I said, I wouldn't be upset if they drafted Justin Fields. I would be upset. However, if they drafted Lance or Jones, because I do see them as a tier below, but it looks like Zach Wilson is the new attempt at overtaking Joe Namath. The third pick is really interesting. This to me is where the draft is going to start because it seems as though we've got Lawrence one, Wilson two peg. That one's pretty easy. Now, of course, San Francisco has done a very good job of being tight lipped. And there's always a skepticism for me hearing weeks in advance about this is the quarterback that this team likes. However, in this situation, it to me seems a little bit different because nobody is trading into the picks that are in front of San Francisco. So they could go out and say, this is the guy that we want to take with the knowledge that those two are going to be off the board before them. And it really doesn't hurt them at all. They're not going to trade the pick because they traded into the pick. No one's going to trade up in front of them. So they could in theory say that we want Mac Jones. Mac Jones is our guy. They'll tell Mac Jones that he is their guy and they could be fine doing it. To me, the wild card in this whole situation is actually Trey Lance. How do they feel about the guy from North Dakota State who would be coming in as the developmental quarterback? He could sit for a year or two behind Jimmy Garoppolo. How hurried are the the 49ers in wanting to move off of Garoppolo? I still feel like Mac Jones has to be the pick here, so that's where I'm going to go because San Francisco can be straight with some people with how they feel. But I would also say that Trey Lance, to me, is a name to watch at number three. But I'm going to go with Mac Jones at third. Guy who is ready to play right now, you feel like, is is a sturdy body who can come in and and work and operate the Kyle Shanahan offense. Shanahan, the one year he's had a healthy quarterback, he made it to the Super Bowl. That's what I think he's looking for, someone who can distribute, come in, and help them win right away. To, to move off of Garoppolo as soon as possible. So I'm going to go with Mac Jones at three to the 49ers. I completely agree with everything you said about them being tight lipped. The only thing I would counter with is they need to have Garoppolo have some sort of trade value, right? They can't just tank it completely before they pick the guy. You know, if he's going to get traded in the next week, and he probably isn't, they need to have some sort of value. But Fair. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's very interesting what's going on there. I completely agree. And it sounds like they're going to go Jones, which is interesting which leads the Falcons. Now the Falcons can go a million ways with this pick. They have 
they have 22 positions on the field and they have basically have 22 needs. I mean, there's very, like, they have a really good, they have a good wide receiver core with Ridley and Jones and Matt, but Matt Ryan's getting old. And if you can draft a quarterback that you believe in, you draft them. I think they're going to go Justin Fields personal. I, I think that it's time to restart the salary clock on the quarterback and, and start to rebuild there with a new coach and a new general manager, I believe too. So it's time to restart that clock and Justin Fields is the guy and maybe Matt Ryan plays out one or two more years, one more year, but he's not a free agent for three more years, I believe. So it's going to be a little bit tough to move on from him, but you know, who knows if you're ever going to be in a position to draft a guy like Justin Fields again. So go for it. If I'm, if I'm Atlanta, I'm going uh, Justin Fields from Ohio State. Now, of course, we're not doing trades here. And this is a place where I think we could really see a trade. Like I could see Justin Fields, getting picked here at four easily by somebody that by is Washington or NFL. Denver. Absolutely. Right. I, I'm, I'm with you there and, and could easily see that the draft shakes out this way. It would be tough for Atlanta just because of that contract for Matt Ryan. That is just incredibly difficult to see him come in and, and then have to potentially sit a guy for two years that almost in some ways defeats the purpose. It's, it, it's a lot like, well, it's similar to the situation with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Of course, Matt Ryan will not be the MVP caliber quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is, so you'd be more inclined to move off of him. But you're almost defeating the purpose if Rodgers is going to play for even two more years in Green Bay because you're never going to get Jordan Love for, for anything cheap on a rookie contract, and you, you defeat the purpose there. So it's, it's an interesting conversation. You go Justin Fields at four. At five, there is a really good player on the board for the Cincinnati Bengals. They are in a great position here. Four quarterbacks off the board, so they're getting the best non-quarterback with Joe Burrow already there. Penny Sewell on the board. Jamar Chase is there. Rashawn Slater, Kyle Pitts are, are probably the four who are in that discussion. I just – I feel like Cincinnati – has to go with the Burrow injury offensive line here. So I'm going to go Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon. He's a monster, has been regarded as the top tackle in this draft, is somebody who had been talked about for a couple of years as, as someone who can really come in and fortify an offensive line. I think maybe if Joe Burrow did not end last year on a torn ACL, they might have been able to go Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts but I think the protection is going to be extremely important. So I'm going to go Penny Sewell from Oregon at five for the Bengals. I'd be surprised if they didn't, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, go Penny Sewell. And it was interesting seeing the Bengals with their jersey release. They have new jerseys now. And yeah. you can see the scar that Joe Barrow has from his operation. And, it, and somebody took a picture of it and said, in this picture is proof of why Penny Sewell has to go number five. He just has to. Um, you spoke about a trade with number four. This is where I would have a trade. Now, we aren't necessarily doing trades, but if Washington wants a quarterback, which you think they probably do, or if Denver doesn't believe in Drew Locke, which is a little bit more shaky, this is where they're going to come for Trey Lance, in my opinion. Um, I, I'm not going to make a trade uh, because then we're going to get in a whole discussion about is that trade worth it. <laughs> so I'm going to go Jamar Chase at number six to the Miami Dolphins. I think that that's a really interesting fit. Get um, Tua, a wide receiver and and bolstered that offense a little bit he appears to be the number one receiver on the board uh well maybe outside of Kyle Pitts 
but I'll go Jamar Chase, although I could totally see Washington coming up and swiping that sixth overall pick and the quarterback from North Dakota. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And again, Miami is getting a really good player in Jamar Chase, who's the top wide receiver off the board and, and a credit to Ryan Flores and Greer, who are doing a really good job in that Miami front office. They would have taken Jamar Chase at number three. Mm-hmm. So they're able to, in essence, get an extra first round pick to take the guy that they would have had, at least in this mock draft anyway, at number three. So Jamar Chase is someone who I think a lot of people really like and, and will be a welcome addition for Tua Tagovailoa as they try and iron things out on the offensive side of the ball. Seven here is interesting. It's the Denver Broncos, and there are some rumblings uh, No, here. it's not. It's Detroit. Number seven is Detroit. Detroit. Did I have that wrong? Okay, I got you. I got you. Yep, yep. My bad. That's my bad. It's Detroit here. So this is another one because it's the same sort of conversation. How confident are they in – Jared Goff, who they just picked up. But I feel like with Detroit, in the same way that we were talking about Atlanta, there's a lot of flexibility for them to just pick whoever is the best player on that board. And at number seven, it's got to be Kyle Pitts. And they've got needs on defense. They've got needs on on offense. And I know that they just took TJ Hawkinson a couple of years ago as well. But Kyle Pitts is the best player on the board. He's so versatile, and and you got to have some help for Jared Goff. This is farther than Pitts, I think, would have fallen ordinarily. He is just such an out-of-this-world talent. I could even see Miami saying that we'd take him at at number six over Jamar Chase, possibly. And I, I don't think they'd go that way. But I wouldn't fall off my chair if they were to go in that direction. I, I just think that at number seven, that's too far for Pitts to, to fall, and you got to take him if you're Detroit, Kyle Pitts to the Lions at number seven, some help for Jared Goff. Yeah, I think the Hawkinson pick maybe scares them off and they take Waddle, but I, I would agree that this is probably where Pitts goes. And we'll go third pass catcher in a row. Sam Darnold needs a lot of help in his new spot, just like he needed in his old spot. And I think that an offense of Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, and Jalen Waddle could be very, very interesting with Joe Brady. And I think that they go Jalen Waddle. I could totally see them going Rashawn Slater. I think I w- it was really 50-50 for me if, the, if I was going to pick Slater or Waddle there. Uh, completely a toss-up. Uh, I think that they need both of those positions. So I'll go Jalen Waddle just because uh, I, think, I think that that offense is very, very intriguing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really interesting pick, and I, I think is someone who would help. Slater is the only other one that I can see there, and it really just depends on how Matt Rule and company feel about the offensive line. I, I might have been inclined to go Slater there, but Waddle is, is not a bad addition either because Darnold's going to need the weaponry. Robbie Anderson uh, there with Christian McCaffrey, you want to help him out. You've made the investment in Darnold. So, so I can certainly see that with, with more as well on that offense. As we go to nine, Slater still on the board, and he is somebody who I think would be very attractive to anybody for a, for a value pick. But there's the, the rumblings again, as I mentioned, that Denver wants to move off of Drew Locke, and Trey Lance is sitting there falling to them here at, at number nine. And I think they do it. Trey Lance is, is such a unique prospect. He's such an interesting guy 
to try and get a handle on because he's, he's played so few games and he didn't play all of this year was outstanding at North Dakota state. There of course is the, the strength of competition argument in addition to not seeing a ton of him. And you feel like he, he's got the tools to come in. He reminds me a little bit of Josh Allen actually is somebody who has a lot of those physical traits and can you coach him up and will he be able to come in and get it both from a mental standpoint and, and the physical standpoint of, of improving some of the places where, where he could improve. And you feel like Trey Lance to, to me is, is different from Allen in that he is more mobile and perhaps has not as strong an arm, but still has a lot of tools and somebody who can come in and develop for Denver for a couple of years, still ha have a shot at maybe figuring out what you have with Drew Locke, but he, he has just not been consistent enough. I think that Denver wants to move off and Trey Lance is sitting there. He's the ninth overall pick to the Denver Broncos. Yeah. I think George Patton now being there instead of John Elway, makes this pick more, more likely. Honestly, I do. Um, I don't, I, I'm not sold on Drew Locke. I don't know how George Patton does, but I'm not totally sold on Drew Locke. So I could totally see this happening. Who is an interesting spot for the boys. This is an interesting spot for the Dallas Cowboys because they don't need a wide receiver, right? They drafted CD Lamb last year. They have Amari Cooper. Don't need a wide receiver. So that's going to pretty much take away Devonta Smith. Again, I can pick Slater or Sertan and be happy with it, but their defense is brutal. So I'm going to go Patrick Sertan from Alabama. Their defense is so, yeah. so bad. No, I'm, I'm with you. You have to go defense there. And their offensive line did take a step back this year, and it has been for a while regarded as one of the best in the NFL, but it was not as good. And that in part, because they had a, a few injuries with Zach Martin missing some time and Tyron Smith did not play for a majority of the year as well. So they, they had some injuries and you'd hope that they're able to get healthier, but I don't think you can commit the money that they have to their offensive line. In addition to now another first round pick, especially when their defense, as you mentioned, was so bad last year, they desperately need a corner. You go Sertan. That's that sounds about right to me. That one of the three corners there that are regarded as as the the high level guys in the first round would have made sense. But but that that's where Dallas has to go. I'll round it out here at eleven, and this is a great place for the Giants to be because you've got. Devontae Smith on the board. If you want to take him, you still have Rashawn Slater on the board. If you want an offensive lineman to pair with Andrew Thomas, and, and they were able to go out and address the wide receiver position in free agency with Kenny Galladay. So that puts that thing on the table. You feel like defensively they are fine, at least on the back end and up front. The only place that you could maybe talk yourself into taking a defensive player for the Giants would be at linebacker with Micah Parsons also on the board for you at number 11 here from, from Penn state rather. So this is a good place for Dave Gettleman to be at. And potentially if someone was wanting to move up, you could see the, the Giants move back a couple of places here, because if you move back to 14, you're still getting the guy you want to get, or one of the guys that you feel good about and, and pick up some extra compensation of course, we're not trading, so at 11, I just think that this is too good a value to pass up for Rashawn Slater. So I'm going Rashawn Slater at 11. 
You pair him with Andrew Thomas, fortify that offensive line. You're giving Daniel Jones everything that he needs at his disposal. Linebacker is something that the, the defense was not the problem for the Giants last year. It was the offense. They needed to get things going. Saquon Barkley will be back healthy, you, you would have to believe. They addressed the wide receiver with Galladay in free agency. Kyle Rudolph, the tight end there for them as well. So some added protection for Daniel Jones, Rashawn Slater at 11. Which now I think leaves an interesting spot where what you said about Miami, where they traded back, they pick up a first-round pick, and they get the guy they want. You got to say the same thing about Philadelphia while retracting statements from a couple weeks ago, where now Devonta Smith's on the board, so they get the guy that they desperately need, and they trade it back and recoup the first-round pick for it. Uh, I think that if if New York does go offensive tackle there, I think Devonta Smith to Philadelphia is a really really good pick because they they um, I mean they need a wide receiver badly. And as for New York, I, I could see them going offensive tackle or wide receiver. Yeah, I J.C. Horn is not really a pick that I I totally love there because you know they they they've bolstered their cornerbacks and secondary. Many, many times over the last couple of years, I'm going to get him in. And we know he loves a hog molly, so. Yes, he does. And <laughs> Rashad Slater would qualify. So I, it's, I think that would, would be something that Giants fans should be happy with. If you're able to come away with Slater, the Jets, of course, in this mock draft, are able to come away with the quarterback of the future. And everybody's happy. It's going to be a really interesting draft. And I'm so excited for next week. To, to finally see how it unfolds because of the quarterbacks and the premium that is being placed on them. You, you just feel like if you're in that five to 15 range, you can really come away with a good player because the quarterbacks are, are being taken so far, especially if you don't need one. I think the chargers are in a great spot too, where you feel really good about what you have in Justin Herbert and, and someone else is going to fall to you. So I'm, I'm excited and, and I'm, it's, it's so much fun. The draft is always so much fun and uh, good luck to, to the Jets, I suppose. We'll see, we'll see how the Zach Wilson pick turns out. And they're also picking later in the first round as well. So a big draft for Joe Douglas and Robert Sala to try and get this thing turned around. Yeah. It's been a long time since the Jets were at 30. So let me know how you're feeling at like 11 PM when the Bills still haven't drafted yet. I'm, I'm long asleep because Zach Wilson's already a Jet. It'll be boring. It'll be boring. Bills have a couple of options, whether it be running back could potentially address the secondary tight end. There, there are some places that they could go, but all about finding a player for a team like the Bills, who are so close in the same way that Tampa Bay or Kansas City will draft, find a player that can make an impact for you this year. And some, some teams, it's about finding the, the future cornerstones and others about building. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I'm, I'm really excited. This should be a really fun night, and it's always must-see TV to see how your team can find a way to improve itself or not, as the case may be, as maybe the Jets have found over the last few years about not improving the team with the first-round pick. But that, that'll wrap it up for us for the regular season preview edition uh, on the draft for NFL Friday. You can catch us every week on iTunes, WFUVsports.org, wherever you get your pods. Chris Hennessy, Nick DeLuca, it should be a lot of fun. So enjoy the draft, and we'll see you next week.